Okay, well, we're going to jump into um, part two of our series in the book of Deuteronomy. The series is called Lynchpin. Um, we kind of just did a, an overview last Sunday of where we were heading and just hit some key themes. We will be unpacking all of that as we go. So if you missed last week, you can go back and listen. Um, but we're going to cover going forward all of the, the stuff that we just briefly gave you a glimpse of last Sunday. So um, the series is called Lynchpin, as I said. We're going through the book of Deuteronomy, but in kind of, kind of a very specific way. We're not doing a verse-by-verse verse thing. We're just unpacking every single little piece. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy through the eyes of Jesus. Outside of the book of Psalms, the book of Deuteronomy was the most quoted book when, on G, in Jesus' life on earth. He quoted it over and over and over again. He quoted it, for example, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, all three times that he quoted God's word, he was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. So it was a very common theme um, throughout his ministry, and we're going to look at this book through his eyes. It's, it's primarily a book where Moses, who has been the leader of God's people, bringing them through the Exodus getting them across the Red Sea, and then he's led them faithfully for just under 40 years as they've wandered around in the wilderness. And he's now communicating to the next generation. He's reminding them of their history and past. He's encouraging them to step into all the things God's called them to, and he's giving them insight into the future. Here's how you're going to take the territory on this adventure that you're on, that God's called you to, to go into the promised land. Here's how you're going to take the territory. Here's how you're going to keep the territory. Here's how you're going to blow it along the way. I'm just going to tell you in advance. Here's some things to avoid. And oh, by the way, God's going to redeem the stuff even that you screw up along the way. And so he reminds them of God's faithfulness. That's kind of the big picture view of the book. And so we, one of the things we said last Sunday um, is that a good visual for the book of Deuteronomy is to picture it like a relay race where, first of all, you are reaching back and grabbing the baton from the people that have been running the race up to this point because we live in a larger story. Our individual life matters, but we fit into a larger narrative. All of history before us has impacted our lives to get us to where we are. And we're supposed to be able to grab that baton well. Yes. Then we run our leg of the race faithfully and then ultimately, we are called to pass on to the next generation. That's why Jesus emphasized discipleship so much. It wasn't just you go live. You learn to give away what you're learning and living. And so that's the book of Deuteronomy. So this morning, we are going to focus on reaching back to grab the baton. That's where we're at this morning. And that's how Deuteronomy starts. The first three chapters are really a looking back and a recapping of history. And, um, you know, different times in my life, I've enjoyed history class. At other times in my life, it was like the most boring thing ever, especially when it's getting highly detailed. And you got to memorize these different names and dates. And it just kind of like a wave of information washes over you. Um, and so what we're going to do first is look at Jesus and how he grabbed the baton and then hopefully learn some things from him that he did. And then we're going to approach the book of Deuteronomy and see what we can grab from the first three chapters. Are we ready? We good? Yes? Awesome. Y'all are quiet. You're like, Jake, shut up. We just need to think about what just happened in worship. We good? All right. I'm, I'm halfway convinced that y'all are with me. Okay. So we're going to look at a story found in Luke chapter 2. 
This is found in verses 41 through 52. You can read through that whole story um, when you're able. But um, it's the story where Jesus travels uh, to Jerusalem with his parents. And we're actually told this is something that they did every single year. They would travel back to Jerusalem at Passover. Um, it was a key part of their lives. And while they're there, things kind of wrap up and his parents and their whole crew of family begins to head back to Nazareth. And, and Jesus' parents discover he's not with us several days into their journey home. And so they go racing back to Jerusalem and find there he is hanging out in the temple with all the scribes and Pharisees. And they're exasperated, like, what are you doing here? And he's just kind of like, well, I'm about my father's business. What, what else would you expect is kind of the vibe he gives. And, but it does say he ultimately leaves with them. Um, and so he goes home and returns to Nazareth. Um, and this story captures something that took place um, throughout Jesus' young life. It gives us a glimpse into who he is and what he was doing as a, as a child. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. So first of all, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So verses 41 and 42 tell us this was a ritual. This was a routine. This was something that his parents did consistently. Why do we do things over and over again? Why do we repeat them? Any, any thoughts or ideas this morning? Why would we repeat behaviors over and over and over again? It means something. Okay, it means something. So it's important. Um, we might also do it because we enjoy it, right? There's something good that comes from it. Um, we want to remember something. If you're trying to help a child learn information, you would have them repeat it over and over and over again. And so repetition means this is important, it's good, and we need to remember. Would we all acknowledge there are maybe some inherent dangers in ritual and routine? Yes, also to make a point. Okay, to make a point. Right, you might emphasize your point by repeating something over and over again. Jesus did that. He would say, verily, verily, like he would emphasize, pay attention to this. All right. The danger of ritual or routine is the very thing it was intended to do can be lost in the familiarity. That regular reminder that's meant to anchor us to something crucial and important can get, get stagnant and dead and we can miss the whole point. And so the beauty of this story is Jesus was doing what we should learn to do. When we are reaching back to grab that baton and paying attention to things that are, seem to be important, that we repeat regularly, Jesus got down to the core issue and wrestled with why? Why do we do this? And so verse 43 kind of tells us he stayed behind. He was asking questions. He was hanging out in the temple figuring out why are we here? What's going on? How do I know that Jesus was trying to figure out why? Because verses 46 and 47, what happens when his parents arrive and find him there? After three days, they found him in the temple. Think about this. He's been sitting in there for three days wrestling with what is happening in this place. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's going on in this, this book of the law? What are you guys doing that are here day after day going through these routines and these rituals and these sacrifices and ministering to people? What, what is this? And he's been sitting there for three days and they find him sitting among the teachers. 
telling them what he's figured out? No? That's what I did at 12. I just, I knew everything. I got really smart at 12, and I stayed that way for a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when your father is in the room, um, when you're telling stories to your childhood. So yeah, I knew it all, but Jesus didn't. He was listening to them, and he was asking them questions. He was actively engaged with the older generation to see what he could learn from them. And so there he sat, listening, asking, Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Listen, we cannot disconnect these two. If I'm not careful, you know, in my older age now, I, I like to feel really secure that I've figured some things out. I like resting in my acquired knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And I rush to that. I rush to have it figured out. And if I don't know something, quickly I view it as a failure. I mean, this has been in my face big time recently. Every, every time I'm in some sort of transition or move with our home and there's mechanical things that need to be done, I'm reminded really quickly of all kinds of things that I don't know how to do and that I'm really bad at. But you know what I'm so prone to do? I get hard on myself like I should know. I feel like a failure. I feel ignorant. I feel like I'm not being a good husband or father because I don't know how to do this stuff around the house. I'm beating myself up for my ignorance. Why am I doing that? I haven't been to plumbing school. No, nobody's, nobody's taken me on an apprenticeship and equipped me with that knowledge. But I feel like a failure. <laughs> and yeah, I got that from dad too. So listen, here's the deal. We can, as adults, like we can think I already was supposed to have grabbed the baton and now I'm blowing it because there's things I don't know or understand. We should be willing to embrace a learning mentality our whole lives. And instead of feeling bad or guilty because I don't know something, let me, this is an opportunity to learn. I don't have to have it all figured out. And so let me listen, let me ask questions. And, and what happens when we become people who learn to listen well and ask questions, we can then become the kind of people that have understanding and answers. The, the first part led directly to the second part. Listening is a lost art. It is a lost art in our culture, in our society. If we listen at all, you know how most of us listen, and I'm guilty of this? I listen in order to think about my response listening to respond. But the way Jesus listened, he listened in order to understand. I want to grab the information that's being given to me and let it sink in and dwell on it and think about it. I want to understand what I'm being taught. I want to understand who this person is that's communicating with me. Learning to listen in order to understand is a vital part of grabbing the things we're meant to catch. But if I'm stuck like a typical 12-year-old, got all the answers, then I become the old dog that can't learn new tricks. So let's develop a mentality that listens and asks questions and that leads us to understanding and answers. Now, this is a hard thing to do when we're looking back at a previous generation because our minds quickly leap to um, what's new. 
and how we've progressed and how we've advanced. And we can also be highly aware of the failures and shortcomings. Can I ask you a question? In Jesus' adult ministry, who was he the hardest on? The very people he's here listening and learning from right now. Before we can ever begin to critique the old generation, the parents that have gone before us, our current leaders that maybe we're not happy with, before I step into the seat of critique, I should first sit down and make sure I understand who are they? Where are they coming from? What do they have to say to me? What information can I gather and learn? If I can't clearly communicate their viewpoint, I don't got it. How could I possibly critique it? Now, we will talk as we go forward in this series about stepping into our role in our day to face real problems that need to change. There is an element where in our generation we take from the old generation and we face things that are broken and wrong and be a part of changing them. But first, we have to be willing to do what Jesus did. Sit, listen, question, understand what can I glean and only then will I be able to then critique and improve on that. We stand on the shoulders of other people who've gone before us. There's all kinds of uh, time frames in history and even current day denominations or different theological thinking that's so easy to sit back and go, man, I see how that's messed up. I see where that's tweaked or off. I see how they got that wrong. And yet I'm standing here in a school cafeteria in Knoxville, Tennessee, because of people in the Middle Ages that were stumbling through and trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And, and I need to be grateful for that and learn from that and then see what God's inviting me to in, in my life and generation. Does this make sense? Okay, so learning to listen, learning to ask questions. Okay, that was a key thing that was happening. What, what else was happening? This is so vital as well. Verse uh, 49, after Jesus' parents have found him and they're going, what, what are you doing? Where you been? And Jesus looks at them and he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, instead of viewing that through the lens of his interaction with his parents, let's view it through the lens of something Jesus understood. He understood who his true father was. And see, as much as I can learn and glean from previous generations and my parents, whether they were awesome parents or terrible absent parents or somewhere in between, my true father is God. And if I will listen and learn from him, man, now what I'm getting is really rich and really valuable. And so as I'm learning from the previous generation, let me learn it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Let, let me learn it through the lens of God. How do you view that history? How do you view what happened there with that generation, with my parents, with that upbringing that I faced, with this thing that's back 100 years in, in my history? God, how do you view that? Because if he's my dad, he's my father, as his son, as his daughter, man, I have a lot to glean from a perfect father. And so Jesus understood that as well. And then I, I love this. It kind of just summarizes this whole section here. Verse 51, after Jesus and his parents have this interaction, 
Luke writes and he says, and then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was, y'all can say it. Can you read it? Is it up there? Submissive. He was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. He ultimately followed the lead of his imperfect parents. He, he submitted himself to their authority. We're never going to lead well in our generation if we don't first learn how to be led by imperfect people. I, I hope you all hear this. There are, some, there are some real broken things in the church in America. And there are some leaders who make mistakes. And there are times where there's leaders, it's time to get away from them because they're way off the rails. But we are very fast and very quick to judge our leaders and to throw rocks at them when maybe God wants us to learn how to follow another broken person because guess what I am? A broken person who's got some people I'm supposed to influence and lead. And if I can't learn to follow other broken people, I'm never gonna be able to lead as a broken person. This is key. So there's a basic overview. He listened in order to understand. He gleaned from the previous generation. He understood God was the only perfect father and learned from him, but he submitted himself to imperfect authority in his life in order to learn. Do we got that? Okay, now here are the results of that. I don't know how this messes with your theology. Jesus was fully God, he was fully man, but Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Because he approached life this way, he grew. He became who he was called to be. We can grow in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men if we live like this. Okay, so that's how Jesus approached things. Now, I said early on this morning and last week that we're going to look at Deuteronomy through the eyes of Jesus. These next few passages we're reading are not ones that he directly quoted. But my, my point this morning is this. He was in Jerusalem studying and learning the law and gleaning about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, from these teachers of the law. Jesus understood the whole aspect of the law of God, and then he was able to then teach about it and reflect on it further in his ministry. And so he got the big picture view. And so we're going to look at the big picture view of the first couple chapters of Deuteronomy this morning with this idea of God, what can I lean and glean, learn from and glean, learn from and glean from this past history, the brokenness of these people, your faithfulness in the midst of it. What do you have, Lord? So chapter one, chapter one, the overview of chapter one is this. Um, the parents, the previous generation, had failed to grab hold of the promise that God had for them. There was something specific he had for them, that land, go take it. And they'd failed to do that. And so in chapter 1, Moses unpacks this and he hits four key things here. Number one, it was time for them to go on the adventure. It was time for them to go and take the land. The first part of chapter one, he says, listen, we've been hanging out around this mountain of Horeb for a while now. We've been here for a bit. We've, Moses has gone up on the mountain and like communed with God. 
And he's come back with some direction and some law and some information. And man, they had the mountaintop experience. And God said, now it's time to leave that mountaintop experience and go forth on the adventure. It is so tempting to settle for stability and get stagnant. Or to settle for an old mountaintop experience and never move on to the new adventure. If you're still telling the story of something God said to you five years ago, and you haven't heard what he said to you five minutes ago, we're stuck and we're missing. He's, he's living. You, you were just saying that at the end. God's doing a new thing. He's the living God inviting us forward into adventure. And so we, we can't stop and settle for, I just want this safe, stable place. Here's the thing God said to me five years ago. Now I'm just going to camp out right here and stay put. He calls us into adventure. He calls us into the next thing. And it was time for them to move forward. And so they were encouraged to go forth. And then they were given some direction. And I love just this little snippet. I'm not going to dwell on it a lot. But um, they were told to appoint leaders for themselves. You know, we view Moses as kind of this pinnacle leader for them, more like a kingly type of a role. But they had a democratic system. He said, you guys within your tribes, figure out the people who are well-known and well-respected and, and you'll, you're willing to follow them and pick leaders for yourselves. And then we're going to go forth into this adventure. And so he encouraged this democratic process. And I thought this was interesting because it kind of coordinated with who Jesus was. But in Deuteronomy 1.13, listen to how he describes the type of people that should be leading them. Choose for your tribes wise understanding and experienced men and appoint them as your heads. Same kind of characteristics that we're describing Jesus. Wise, experienced, understanding. So they've got the call and direction. They've got leaders in place, but they refuse to enter the land. Why? Fear. They were afraid. They were afraid to enter in. They were, they were looking at the problem and the obstacle in front of them and not at the God who was there to lead them. They had forgotten what he had done in the past. This is such a key part of grabbing the baton is remembering what he's already done. They had watched him part the Red Sea. They'd watched all of these miracles and now they're afraid to go into the next place God has for them. Fear kept them back. Now, I, I hope as parents, um, as children, that on a very practical level, you, you hear this next part. The, the Bible is so practical sometimes, so practical. What was the penalty for their refusal to go into the land? The penalty was you don't get to go into the land. That's just practical. There's this awesome promise. You're afraid to step into it. Guess what? You miss out. On that land. And so you're going to be stuck. And so he says to them, list this. We're going to just look at three verses. Boom, boom, boom. Deuteronomy 135. Not one of these men of this evil generation. He's equating their fear to evil. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. You're going to miss out because you were afraid. What's going to happen? Verse 39. As for your little ones, who you were afraid would become prey, right? You were kind of blaming it on, we're trying to protect our kids. and not go on this adventure. 
Those ones that you said would become prey, your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Verse 40, But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Where had they come from? The Red Sea. They got stuck. They went backwards because of their fear to go forward. People live this every day. If we aren't willing to face the obstacles in our life and fight through them to step into the promised land, our kids are going to be stuck fighting those battles. It's because we don't believe he's good. If he's good, he'll see me through it. He'll see me through it. But we get stuck. And so then we see it passed down from generation to generation where now a kid is dealing with the same issues their parents dealt with. And now they're the one that has to fight the fight and try to step into the promised land. And so what I want to say to you this morning is, I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but God is with you and he's good. And he's strong. And you can step courageously into the battle. Be willing to look back at some of the old stuff that has hung on from the past generation and say, I'm ready to see that broken. I, I am not going to settle for divorce in my life going forward, Amen. even if that's what was passed on to me. Or if I've already lived that, I'm going to encourage my kids. They don't have to settle for that. They can break that curse and move forward. That's just one example I'm picking out of a hat. But we, we face these things and God gives us the ability and the strength and the courage to face them and to step into a good land. And if we don't do it, our kids are going to have to be the ones to do it. And if you're one of those kids, great, you can do it. Go forth and grab hold of the promise that God has for you. The penalty for refusal is getting stuck, but we don't have to settle for that. And so we roll into chapter 2. And we begin to see God's redemption going on because God still loved these broken people that got stuck in the wilderness. And so all of chapter two just unpacks ways that God brought guidance and protection, guidance and protection. He still led them even in the midst of the wilderness. His presence was there, right? Remember the visual? There was the, the cloud and the pillar of fire representing God's presence, guiding them through. When people came after them and attacked them along the way, he protected them and they, they had victory. I love that. Because even when we fail, even when we blow it, God is faithful still to help us in our weakness. And then finally, as we move into chapter 3, God encouraged them to lean on his past faithfulness in order to face their current battle. Deuteronomy 3.2. But the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have given him and all of his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. He said, listen, there's this new enemy that you got to go face, and guess what? You're going to be able to tackle him the way you tackled that old enemy back there. You're going to learn from that. I'm so thankful for that. Like, I've, I see this all the time in my life now where I'm facing a difficulty, a challenge, an obstacle, and God brings to mind. Remember that back there? I feel like I've probably worn y'all out with the stories of what we've got going on right now. But, but just a brief little tidbit. When, when the house we were trying to buy a few weeks ago fell through, 
there was the initial frustration, but pretty quickly the Lord reminded me that, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago, when did we buy the house in Burtonwood? Do you remember? It doesn't matter. A house back in Spring Hill that we bought. We had sold our house fast. We had this new house we loved. We couldn't wait. It, we were hung up for five or six weeks and then it kind of all dissipated and fell apart. And we were so discouraged. And the next day a house came on the market that we was, was perfect and we loved it and we bought it. And that house ended up being such a blessing financially, it really helped get us to Knoxville. The Lord blessed us with resources from the sale of that house a few years later. And it, it's really helped us get here. It was incredible. So now recently, when this house fell through a few days before closing, pretty quickly the Lord reminded me, hey, remember what I did there? I'm going to do that for you here. And sure enough, didn't fail. A couple days later, we're sitting in bed at night and my wife goes, hey, check this out. Do you think, do you think this is a possibility? Uh, yeah. And I'm emailing my agent right now at 1030 at night. We got to see this tomorrow. And, and we've got this incredible house that we love better than the one that fell through. But the Lord immediately took me back and reminded me of what he had done back here. It's a new story. It's a new adventure. But he doesn't change. And he's faithful and he sees us through. And so we can lean on past faithfulness to face current battles. Okay, a final, a final note from chapter 3. And then we're going to start wrapping this up. Um, one of the key things that we can learn from the previous generation is learning to deal with disappointment. We can learn to deal with disappointment. Guess who wanted to see the promised land really badly? Joshua. Well, Joshua for sure, but before him, Moses. Moses. But he's a part of that old generation. And God, God's judgment saying nobody's going in, it, that fell on Moses. And Moses knew that. Now, what's interesting is after years of knowing that, he got antsy and frustrated and said, God, please, I really want to see it. And if you read through Deuteronomy 3, verses 23 through 29, you see Moses pleading, can I just step my feet into it? Can I just, can I just set my feet and just look around? I know I'm never going to really live there, but can I just step my feet into it? says, nope. Sorry, buddy. You don't get to do that. But here's, here's what is going to happen. What is going to happen is you're going to go up on this hilltop with me and I'm going to show you the whole thing. I'm going to show you what's yet to come. You're going to invest your hope in the future and in the next generation. And then you're going to equip Joshua and he's going to go in. Deuteronomy 3.28. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Moses, I'm going to give you a glimpse of something you're never going to quite get your hands on. One of the things that we can learn from the previous generation is caring for the next generation. When we face disappointment and discouragement and things in our life that we don't quite achieve, we can, we can will good towards the next generation. I love Dallas Willard's definition of the word love. It's to will the good of others. I, I want someone else to have the good. Discipleship is about wanting the person after you to do better than you. To take possession of things you could never quite get your hands on. 
One of the beauties of previous generations is massive sacrifices that they made so we can have what we have. I'm blown away by that. It's incredible if we'll stop and consider the sacrifices and disappointments that were made by previous generations, our parents, our grandparents, that have enabled us to step into things we're stepping into. And if I can learn to deal with the disappointments of life and invest hope in the next generation and will their good, even though there's things I didn't get to experience, man, that's love. But that's a hard thing. And it's a key part of discipleship. I, I faced this in a very real personal way. Um, for years at Grace Chapel, I, I got to be the youth pastor there and loved it, loved doing it. In the last few years I was there, I knew we were preparing for something new, something different. I didn't know it was Knoxville, but I knew there was something different. And I, and I wanted to leave well. And so I spent a lot of time pouring into a couple of guys. And one of the guys I poured to in particular was David Green. Some of you might have met him last Sunday. He got to visit church with his wife, Katie. Got to pour into David Green and train him to take over my jo old job that I loved. And we spent years getting ready for that. And he served and helped and, and worked alongside me and, and under, under me. And then I began to let things go and let him take the lead. And one of the things that was the, the hardest for me and my pride was when he took over, he did some things different. <laughs> and the truth is there were some things that got better. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> I did it for 15 years. You've been in charge for three weeks and that's already way better than it was when I was doing it. That hurts. And, and I began to realize, like, I thought I was really into this whole discipleship thing, but then my pride got hit by the fact that a guy I'd poured into and was, and was now letting him lead, he was improving on some things that needed to change and needed to be different. And that can be hard, but it's good and it's right. We, we are a part of an incredible story that God is telling. And running our race well is a key part of it. But grabbing the baton from the old generation, learning from, from their failures and shortcomings, learning from their victories and achievements, even learning from their disappointments, can equip us to run our race well and pass it on to the next generation. I want to close with this. It's kind of a preview of where we're going next. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. When Moses has summarized this history that he's called them to consider and to listen and to understand, he then says in Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 and 2, And now, O Israel, I'm talking to you, this generation, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. And do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. I love that. Grab hold of what I've taught you from the past generation. Step into the adventure of your generation and rest in the truth that it's God who's giving it to you. He's going to win the victory. You've got a part to play, but he's got it. He's the victor. Receive it from him. Verse 2. So important. And you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. I want every single thing that God has for me, nothing less and nothing more.
Next week, we're going to start talking about Jesus' statement that all the law and prophets hang on this. And he says, all the law and all the prophets hinge on this. And let's see what God has for us as we grab a hold of everything he has for us. Nothing more and nothing less. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our past, our history, uh, near history and history that goes way back. Thank you for faithful and imperfect men and women who have followed you into adventure, who've stumbled and failed and settled and had disappointments and everything in between. But God, thank you that they ran their race. And God, that we get to sit here today as children of God because of that past generation. God, we thank you for you, our perfect father, who redeems our failures, who gives us strength for our victories, and who's ever present in all of it. And we thank you that you are the father teaching us how to be your sons and daughters. And God, I pray ultimately that we would grab the baton from you and learn to run our race faithfully. God, would you anchor us in the truth of who you are, who we are, and God, that we could live life accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, before you go, we've got an announcement. It's a little tough doing this in the middle of summer. People are traveling. I know there's people missing this morning. Um, but we, we really want to help and participate in something that's happening in our community. So many of you would remember that Ross Jones came and shared about Knoxville Dream Center and Lost Sheep Ministries. And one of the, the, the things that they do, one of the arms of their ministry is helping Title I schools. And so they're doing a project to equip the teachers at NSKIP with all the school supplies their kids are going to need because those kids are going to show up without their school supplies. Happens every year. Their, their families do not have the money to get them what they need for school. So we have two ways that we can participate in this. We can grab a list and go buy the school supplies ourselves, which is kind of fun. I, I think I know some moms that enjoy the smell of like brand new pencils. Um, so you can go do that. Um, if you've got the time and ability to do that and fill up a bag and bring it back. Or if you want, you can give towards that and they'll do the shopping. And so we, we're setting up. Have we already set this up? Or are we setting it up this week? Has Amy talked to you? Okay. Sometime this week, <laughs> we're going to set up something on our giving page that will be a drop-down box that says school supplies. And you can donate and it will go directly to that. We're not gleaning any of it. We'll take all of it and give it to them. So $40 buys a bag and fills the bag with everything that they need. So you can do a $40 donation or you can go do the shopping and bring it in. Amy, are the, are the lists out at the connection table? So that table, when you come in the front door, it's got the list. You can grab it with you. I think we've got two Sundays to bring stuff back next week or the week after. So the next two Sundays, you can give uh, financially or you can give by giving a bag. If you're like a check writer, just make a note on the envelope in the other section, school supply drive or something like that, and we'll know where it goes. Does that make sense? Any questions? Okay, awesome. Enjoy summer. I know some of you are traveling. Have a great week, and we'll see you guys soon.